Hi, I'm Talissa. And I'm Rachel, and this is Transatlantic Crime, a true crime podcast that covers stories from each side of the pond. Every week, we will both cover a separate story with a running theme. Disclaimer, this podcast will contain swearing and details that some people may find offensive. If you are of a sensitive disposition, listener discretion is advised. Welcome, Welcome to, to Transatlantic, Transatlantic Crime. Same <laughs> place. Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, mate. Um, I was going to say, this new mic is actually really good. Like, our last recording sounded yeah, really good. good call on that. This is a good investment present to myself. Um, have you bought all your presents? No, I haven't. No, I've And bought... I should have done because I have presents to send overseas and I haven't. Those are like my last people that I have to send. Yeah, so like to brothers and sisters and stuff. Yeah. I've got, uh, my mum wants... Th- my my mum is the sort of person that just gives you a list and she's like, just buy what's on the list. Don't fucking bother going off piste. And I'm like, yeah. to be honest, I'm kind of into it. Like, right. I'd rather get people something they want. But my dad, I've bought him a Star Wars limited edition coin. Ooh, wow. <laughs> yeah, which I thought was quite cool. And yeah. Carly, um, I bought her a badge which has on it like Patsy from um, Ab Fab, if you ever watched that. Yes. It's called Absolutely Fabulous, the program. Yes. It's really good. If American people haven't watched it, you should watch it because it's fucking funny. And it's got Joanna Lumley in it. And um, it's just a badge with Joanna Lumley on it who plays Patsy. And it just says, you little troll bitch from hell. (laughs) So so that's Carly's present. (laughs) Perfect. Done. Yeah, and, and then if she my... listened to the podcast, then she would know. Yeah, what but she's she doesn't. For Christmas, <laughs> fucking Judas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she was like, "Oh my god, I never knew that." Like Les from Coronation Street, um, found one of the Ripper victims. I was like, "Yeah, well, you would if you listened to the podcast." Yeah, you fucking we backstabber. Weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, and she was like, "Soz," <laughs> but. <laughs> Then, like, my defense for her, which I totally get, is that she has had me in her ear for the past seven months nonstop, like, slime in this ear, slime in that ear, just stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) As if she needs to go, oh, do you know what I could do with? Another load of Talissa's voice. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I get it. And I'm sure, like, like our house... I'm constantly like reading and watching true crime documentaries and listening to true crime podcasts. Yeah. And so to ask Will to also listen to me talking about it. Yeah. Every mo- every week is yeah. like sometimes uh, you have you to have let to it go. That. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um. I'd r- plus like I don't want to like sit there with a gun to her head. I'd rather she actually did enjoy it, which she won't. So. Like, right. <laughs> I don't want it that way, you know? Right. But speaking of, thank you to all of our listeners who've stuck with us and continue to listen to us. And do care. Yeah. Even though <laughs> you don't do. know us. And you do know that Les from Coronation Street discovered a fucking Ripper victim's body. Oh, speaking of Ripper victims, good segue. Oh. There is a program out in the UK. I'm not sure if it's on American Netflix. Maybe you can have a look for me and let me know. But it's just called The Ripper. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the Yorkshire Ripper. Um, it's four episodes and I've only watched like half of one because okay. I was too sleepy. But it's very good. All right. 
I'll check Very it good. out. I'll check if we have it on our American Netflix. Yeah, and if not, I think you can do a VPN to go to English Netflix because that because ne- that worked for a while, then it stopped working, and now it works again. So I don't know what I don't know what Netflix has done or not done with its security, but for a while you could just put any Netflix any VPN on any country and that Netflix would come up for you. Nice. I was so keen to tell you that that I ran out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> like you just ran up the stairs. I was like, forgot to tell you. But yeah. Also, in news. Elvis, mm-hmm. the cat from My Favorite Murder, died. Oh. What Elvis, is it what about? Cookie. It's, uh, it's really weird. In the past two weeks, I know about three or four different people whose pets have died. Really? In the past like two weeks. Yeah. Please don't die, Arlo. I can't I know. <laughs> handle. I cannot. I think our dogs are okay. This is why. With some wood. I gotta. Touched some wordy, I got some here. Um, This is why, right, Arlo ate some geraniums in the garden and then he looked really ill. And I took him to the vet and she was like, well, like he might be okay or he might not be okay. She was like, I can't promise you either way. And I was like, look, just do the treatment because if the dog dies during 2020, that's my last straw. That's it. I can't. That's a final nail in the coffin. Like just whatever you got to do to him, just fucking do it. I don't care how much it costs. (laughs) Yep. Tito came from the streets and I feel like he's eaten everything under the sun. So yeah. I think he already has an iron stomach. So yeah. <laughs> whatever he eats off the streets, he just shits out the next day. So I, I feel like it's okay. But there have been times where he's like swallowed a chicken bone or something. Oh, for fuck's sake. Street. Yeah. So I feel like you honestly, like you offer, do- you offer a dog a dog treat and they're like, nah. Oh, but this bird shit. Yeah, I've seen, yeah. I've I've witnessed Arlo eat bird shit. I know. And like, <laughs> Same. What is it? What's in it? <laughs> and like someone's gone to me, oh, can he have this? I'm like, probably. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I don't even worry that much about chocolate. Like, no. If I, if I dropped a chocolate chip on the floor and Tito ate it, I wouldn't worry that much. Oh, oh fuck off. Like, once. Right. Arlo ate a whole bag of chocolate coins. Do you remember that? Oh my god! Yeah. And then, and then, and then Carly bought a replacement, and he ate those as well. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my god! I was like, Hide them better. Yeah. <laughs> he like delicately ripped the wrapper off everyone as well. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And Carly went, Oh my god! Oh my god! We got to take him to the vets. So I was like, No, fuck him! Like he can take his chances. And true to my word, he was absolutely fine. Smug, if anything. They're but fine. We- chocolate is fine. Chocolate really is fine. Um, I've I've Don't discovered it. Don't listen to us, though. Don't feed your dog chocolate. I mean, I'm not going to be held legally like responsible. <laughs> but he um... transatlantic crime said we could, and now my <laughs> dog is dead. <laughs> no. So basically, what happens is, I think it does their liver in slowly. So mm. if you, because I heard a story that my stepmom had a neighbor who she knew fed the dog like digestive biscuits that had chocolate on them yeah she was like they used to do it like every day all the time and i think and then the dog died of like liver failure and i think like yeah so it affects them over time it's not like one big bit of chocolate will kill them it's like if you keep giving them chocolate it will kill them yeah 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 um all right let's let's move away from dog death dying (laughs) fuck's sake i don't want to think about that no, me neither. 
Yeah, I had a text. I have to bring it up now. I think that this is this is holiday themed, and it's also maybe the reason why I'm into true crime. Ooh, okay. So my friend texted me the other day. So every year we had our school did a Christmas show. I'm sure every school does that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So so she texted me and she said, Rach, remember at our school Christmas concert one year, we sang Rainbow Connection in the dark and had flashlights and turned them on saying the names of the current missing children. Oh, my God. (laughs) You fucking ghoul. Why were they making children sing the, the names of missing children? So at you a Christmas didn't, concert. You didn't want to do that. It was your job at like it was teacher it was, verified. Yes. And I guess parents too were just sat there and watched and this is this is what it was like growing up in the nineties, I think. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty fucking weird. It's so weird and morbid yeah and not very christmasy no (laughs) whose idea was it that's not festive right (laughs) maybe they had a maybe you had a murderino teacher like secret one maybe why did your friend text you that she just had that memory right and i was like i have no memory of this oh okay and like maybe singing that song which is a famous song Mm. And holding flashlights, which is also kind of creepy, <laughs> like in the dark. That's what you do when you're in, when you're camping and you want to scare the shit out of yeah. someone. You put yeah. you put a flashlight under your chin and then you right. like say something creepy. It made me think like maybe that planted the seed of just being interested in true crime. I mean, yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> if that's what was going on in my life, I'm sure there was more of that stuff going on. Uh, talking about missing children and death. Yeah, there was no shit like that going on in my school. (laughs) Like, ever. One other thing I wanted to say was, um, you know Murder on Middle Beach? Yes, I I still haven't watched it yet. Yeah, well, don't listen to My Favourite Murder, because they're fucking talking about it willy-nilly. Like, I had to to skip it today. I was like... They were like, oh my God, we've got to talk about the last episode. And I was like, no, you don't. I haven't seen it. So yeah. like, I had to like totally skip. I was like, please, women. <laughs> do not ruin episodes of things. Um, what Something that you do have to watch, though, and I texted you about this, is yeah. Crazy Not Insane. You do have to. Oh, the it. end. Yeah, I haven't finished it yet. I really want to talk about it with you. Okay. Okay. It's a big deal. Ooh. But I just feel like. At the moment, there's not enough hours in the day. Like, I don't have enough hours to, like, fart at the moment. I know. (laughs) Work is, like, I thought work was going to really wind down. Oh, no, no. No. Busier busier than I've been all year. And then, like, I had, uh, like, counselling, which I have to do, like, homework for. And then we have this. And then I have friends and family. And then I'm, like, trying to, like, have a dating life because I don't want to die alone. Like, this is just, it's too much. I just want a day off. Yeah, it really is. And that's and I can't, what Christmas is for. I can't but... even pull it, like, I can't even pull a sickie because I've, like, had too much time off sick and I'll get in proper trouble. So yeah. it's like, this is bullshit. Because <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Just lie and say you're ill when you're not. Well, I can't even do that now. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, I took up all my sick days having my breakdown. So this really is unfair. 
<laughs> it's almost the weekend. It's almost the holidays. Foot on the clutch. Cruising to Christmas. Driving straight through. <laughs> Going through it. the red lights. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No stop signs. Nope. Green light the whole way. Yeah. Not stopping at zebra crossings. Nothing. Um, okay. Anyways, should anyway. we get into true crime? Sure. So this week's theme is holiday crimes. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, holiday crimes, from my point of view, is crimes that happened while you were on holiday, on okay. a vacation. But I knew what you meant. You meant Christmas, didn't you? Yes, yes. So the I ha- holiday so I, of Christmas. Yes. So I've done a Christmas one. So Wonderful. don't worry. I, yeah. I was going to clarify, but I figured you know. I've known you long enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know that I'm American and I don't say holiday for vacation. Yeah. Yes. So my story this week is the Sodder Children Disappearance. Ooh. And this is a pretty famous story. There's tons of podcasts that talk about it. So okay, let's get into it. I've never heard of it. Me, you might though. You might recognize once you it. start. Yeah, once you start, maybe you would especially recognize it if we had visuals mm. because it's always in like you know, like ranker, like top ten weird disappearances, mysteries. yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. On Christmas Eve, 1945, the Sodder family, George and Jenny Sodder and their children, were celebrating the holidays together at home. George and Jenny were well known in the area as a respected middle class family. George owned a trucking business and had immigrated from Italy when he was 13 years old. He met Jenny, who had also immigrated with her family from Italy to the U.S. After they married in 1923, they had 10 children. Wow. And... And all but one, who was off in the army, were home at their farm in Fayetteville, West Virginia, that Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. The oldest daughter, 17-year-old Marion, who had a job at a dime store, had surprised some of her siblings with new toys that they were playing with that night. At around 10 p.m., when it was time to go to bed, five of the children, Maurice, who was 14, Martha, who was 12, Louis, who was 10, Jenny, who was 8, and Betty, who was six, asked if they could stay up a little longer to play together with their new toys. Jenny agreed to let them stay up as long as they checked on the farm animals, fed the chickens, turned off the lights, closed the curtains, and locked the front door before going to bed. So the parents and the four other children went to bed while Marion fell asleep on the couch. At 12.30 a.m. that night, the phone rang. Jenny left their bedroom on the first floor and went into the hallway to answer it. On the line was a woman whose voice Jenny did not recognize. The woman asked for someone that Jenny also didn't know, so Jenny told her that she had the wrong number. Uh, Jenny also noticed that there was talking and drinks clinking in the background, like she thought maybe it was a party and they got the wrong number. The woman on the line gave a weird laugh and hung up. From there, Jenny went to go check on the house because she noticed that it was quiet, but the lights were still on. She so in- sorry, this is this is like nineteen forty five, right? You yes. said. Yep. So they've got so they got a phone, so they must be really well off. Yeah, they were uh pretty well to do. We'll talk about that, but yeah, George he started his own business, and they had ten kids, and they had a farm, and they were just pretty well known in the area, and they were 
regular middle class. They weren't like yeah. super rich, but they weren't absolutely poor. Yeah. So, yeah, 1945. Uh, so she went to go check on the house because she noticed that the lights were still on, but it was completely quiet. And coming from a family of nine children, it's never that quiet. Nope. <laughs> It's like it's like um, if the dog's quiet, you're like, I don't like it when you're quiet. Where are you yeah. and what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're setting fire to something. See them. Yeah, and it's <laughs> yeah. too quiet. It's like, what are they doing? Yeah. I remember one year we had a birthday party and it was like nonstop noise for about two hours, and then we gave everyone cake and ice cream, mm. and it was just like silence, deathly. <laughs> silence as everyone as like 12 children ate their cake and ice cream yeah and it was probably like that for about 20 seconds but which i'm sure was eerie silence which i'm sure was the best 20 seconds of your parents life that day yeah yeah (laughs) like also i remember vividly many times like my mum being like what it's too quiet up there what are you doing (laughs) so many times like what are you doing up there it's too quiet (laughs) yeah love it something fishy's going on they sense it don't they (laughs) yeah so jenny went into the living room to see her daughter marion was still asleep on the couch but the other children weren't there the curtains were still open and the front door was still unlocked Thinking her children had just forgotten, she turned off the lights, locked the door, and closed the curtains. She returned Marion to her bed and went back to bed herself. As she fell asleep, she heard the sound of something hitting the roof and rolling down. Oh, God. It's such a weird story. This is like uh, an urban legend. This is, is almost like this is almost like a creepypasta or like an urban legend. Like Yeah, it yeah. totally is, but it's all it's true. It's all yeah. true. Yeah. Um, about half an hour later, she woke fully to the smell of smoke. Waking George, they found a fire in George's office and alerted the house, escaping with four of the children. When they stood outside and realized that half of the children weren't there, they began yelling at the home, hoping their shouts would wake up the rest of the children. George attempted to go back into the home, but the staircase that led to the children's bedroom in the attic was on fire. The family went to the side of the house where the ladder usually was kept, but found that it was gone. They attempted to find water, but the rain barrels surrounding the house were frozen. George then had the idea to drive one of his trucks to the side of the house to see if they could reach the room that way. And although both trucks were working were in working condition the day before, neither of them would start that night. Shit. So every attempt that they are trying to make to reach the attic where the kids' bedroom was, was just thwarted. Yeah, somebody had it in for them. Yeah. They attempted to use the house phone because they kind of had access to it, but obviously the house was on fire. Mm. Um, But then at that point, it wasn't working. So Marion, the oldest daughter, ran to a neighbor's house to use their phone, which also couldn't get through to the fire department. The fire moved quickly, and the whole house was burned down in less than an hour. I'm sure it's just made of wood, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just kindling. Right, and I think they probably had a Christmas tree. They probably had whatever else on Christmas that lends to a fire. Oh, things yeah. that happen at Christmas so the- are just so much worse. I know. Because <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you've ruined, like, the bit of the year that everyone was looking forward to. 
Right. It's supposed to be a happy time. And then I always think of when things like this happen around Christmas time, it's like forever and always that family won't have a good Christmas because that's all they would think. Yeah, exactly. Like the if the anniversary of a death is on someone's birthday or like something like right. that. The fire department was only alerted when someone in a tavern not too far from the farm noticed the smoke and contacted the Fayetteville fire chief, F.J. Morris. He wasn't even home. I think he was out partying because it was Christmas. <laughs> so they couldn't even, like, call him on the phone. Someone had to drive out and find oh, him. Oh, dude. <laughs> so <laughs> once they found him, he began a phone tree in which he called a firefighter who would then call another firefighter who then called another firefighter. I mean, it's a system. <laughs> yeah. Because it was a small town, that was just their system anyway. It wasn't like someone was always at the fire department sitting there ready to go. Yeah. They just had to call people. Yeah. So because of the delay, the fire department didn't make it to the solder farm until 8 a.m. that morning when the house was already fully burned to rubble and all that was left was the basement. Oh, fuck. The family were devastated thinking that five of the children were dead and began searching the property for remains as Fire Chief Morris attempted to find the cause. So here's where it gets more weird. Mm -hmm. So the coroners were called and they assumed that the five children had died in the fire. Death certificates were issued. However, no human remains were ever found amongst the rubble. That is so weird. Nothing. No bones, no organs, nothing. Like I think I think about um, this all the time because um apparently like Ted Bundy said that he burnt one of his victims in a fire and mm-hmm. a few people have said they burnt victims in a fire but like it's actually Im- well it's nearly impossible to burn a body unless you have a crematorium because it has to get to like 5000 degrees or what yes. I mean well, don't we'll don't quote me that. on that but yeah <laughs> yeah and Jenny, the mom, she continued to question this over this course, and we'll we'll get into mm. that. She also, once she started searching, she found kitchen appliances were still intact and further questioned whether her, ch- her children had died in the fire. So she was like, if my spoons are fine, yeah. then how could a body, five bodies completely disintegrate? Okay. So F.J. Morris claimed the cause of the fire was due to faulty electricals, yet the lights were still working during the fire. They still had Christmas lights up. Mm -hmm. And George had only just had the electricals checked a few weeks before by the electric company, who said that they were in good condition. With the fire department and coroners closing it off as a tragic accident, George and Jenny wouldn't accept this and began their own investigation. There was also comments about how it was Christmas, so the fire department came out and kind of half-assed it Yeah, in, like, trying to find the reason, and the same with the coroners. They, were, yeah. they just didn't, they were like, oh, we'll come back in a couple of days and we'll figure like, it out. Like, probably an accident, off for a brandy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta go open presents with the family. Well, yeah. Sorry, bye. Yeah. It's an, it's an um, inconvenient time to die. Yes. So George and Jenny wouldn't accept this and they began their own investigation. They found the ladder that was usually on the side of the house was hidden in an embankment not far from the home. Jenny did her own experiment of burning animal bones to see when and how the skeletons would disintegrate. After an unsuccessful experiment, 
She asked the local crematorium, who told her that it takes about two hours at a high temperature of 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit for skeletal remains to disintegrate. The house was burned down in less than an hour that night, and the flames wouldn't have reached that high temperature either. Nope. So that's one thing. I could have told you that, and I'm no fire chief. (laughs) You did tell us. (laughs) So, imploring help from the police after their findings and getting nowhere, the Sauter parents spent a fortune in private investigators and detectives. With investigators' help, they found several witnesses. A woman who knew the family claimed that she saw the five children in a strange car driving away from the fire that night. Wow. Yeah. A waitress working in a diner 50 miles from Fayetteville also claimed to have served five children breakfast that Christmas morning. However, she could not recall how many adults were with the children. That's pretty big. Yeah. Five kids on Christmas morning. You would remember that. You'd be like, why aren't you at home? Yeah. Opening your presents. Who would want to kidnap their kids so bad? Will we get into it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I am gripped. (laughs) So another woman in South Carolina who saw the children's photos in the newspapers a couple of months after, she came forward and she saw. She said she saw four of the five children who looked like the photos with several adults checking into a hotel in South Carolina, which uh, West Virginia to South Carolina, it's like seven hours away. It's like 400 miles. Wow. So it's like, what are they doing mm. there? She said the car that they were in had Florida plates and that when she tried to talk to the children... The adults spoke in Italian to the children as though they were in trouble, and they just kind of whisked them away. And the kids would know Italian, right? Yeah, because both their parents were. Also, a bus driver came forward saying he witnessed several people throwing balls of fire at the roof of the solder house that night. When the snow had melted in the months after the fire, Sylvia, the youngest solder daughter, she was like two or three, Mm -hmm. she was playing in the snow and she found hard rubber objects near the ruins. And this led George to believe that what Jenny heard on the roof that night was someone throwing napalm grenades. Fuck. Yeah. Might give a clue as to who is doing this. I mean, I don't know how to make napalm. I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> they said it was those... It's like when you think of gr- a grenade, they said they're called pineapple grenades. Yeah. So you know that they're in every... Yeah, 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 yeah. Some of the present... Sodder children did also recall that in the month leading up to the fire, they noticed two strange cars watching them when they went to and from school. Hmm. There are several theories as to why the children may have disappeared and how the fire started. Okay. The first theory is that George was rumored to be receiving pressure from the Sicilian mafia. He never told anyone the reasons why he left Italy alone when he was 13. He only said that he left when he was 13. His older brother came with him on the boat, dropped him off at Ellis Island, where all the immigrants would check in, and then his brother just turned around and went back to Italy Mm. and was like, see ya. Okay. Yeah. The mafia was present in West Virginia, and there was a large Italian community in Fayetteville. There were a couple of strange instances in which George was threatened. One was when a stranger passed through the farm asking for work. When George turned him down, the stranger pointed at the fuse box, claiming that they would cause a fire someday. Another time shortly after, an insurance agent came to the farm to sell insurance to George. After a heated argument, when George turned the insurance agent down, the man said, 
your goddamn house is going to go up in smoke <laughs> and your children are all going to be destroyed. Oh, fucking hell. You're going... <laughs> yeah. You are going to be paid for the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini. Okay, well, he seems like so a George pretty was... good suspect. <laughs> yeah. George was known to have passionate arguments with other Italians in the community about his dislike with Mussolini. So he was very outspoken politically. Um, and it was during World War II at this time yeah. as well. So I mean, Mussolini uh, was a dictator. But like I learned that not all dictators are bad. There was a Bosnian dictator. Can't remember his name. Begins with Y. Um, and there was like a picture of him on my Bosnian friend's fridge. And um, oh. my French ex-boyfriend was like, oh my God, I can't believe they've got a picture of that dictator on the fridge. And um, yeah. Ada was like, no, people really liked him. <laughs> they were like, he was a really good leader. Um, yeah, I guess we'd have to look a little bit more into like Italian opinions on Mussolini at the time. Well, you know, I was telling you I was reading that book about the guy who during World War II, he skied in the Alps and he helped people escape. Yes. So I'm still reading that book because I'm a really slow reader. Yeah. And he ends up meeting Mussolini and Mussolini was kind of like in Hitler's pocket. Okay. So I don't think he was that great of a guy because he was always trying to um, appease Hitler. Right. Okay. And at that time too, there were a lot of Nazis in Italy and they were just letting them like ransack Italy and steal all their, like their food and their farms and, use it for the Nazi soldiers who were overseas. So maybe that gives an idea of why George Sauter didn't like Mussolini. Okay, fair enough. Um, But okay, so obviously at the time, George thought nothing of those remarks, but when he looked at them in in context with the fire, he wondered whether he should have taken them more seriously. Yeah. So two years after the fire in 1947... Nothing happened. The police weren't helping. Fire department weren't helping. Jenny wrote to the FBI asking for their help. They agreed to assist as long as they could get permission from the local authorities. However, Fayetteville police and fire department declined. This, along with the supposed sightings of the children, has led some to believe that the Sodder children were part of a child-selling agency that was aided by the police and or the mafia. Hmm... I don't know. It, I don't know. It's like in every ro- story that I read, the police were not very present. The fire department was mm. because there was a fire. Yeah. But. Well, they just wrote it off as an accident. Said so like, why would the police get involved? Right. Yeah. Easy job for yeah. them. Um, in the following years after the fire, the Sauter family did not rebuild their home and continued to search the property for clues. In 1950, Near their old home, they erected a billboard with the five children's photos and a $10,000 reward. The billboard remained there for the next three decades. In 1968, Jenny received a letter in the mail. It was postmarked from Kentucky, but did not have a return address. In it was a photo of a young man, and on the back was a note. It said, Louis Sauter, I love brother Frankie, Illil boys... A90132. Okay. I don't know what that means. The police. <laughs> nobody yeah. does. 
they they think that it might have been the one of the sons, Lewis. Yeah. The police thought it was a hoax, but George and Jenny were convinced it was their son 23 years later. So ignoring the police, they hired another private investigator who took their fee and left West Virginia saying that he was going to Kentucky, but he was never heard from again. Oh. So. That Maine? People think that he just pretended like he was going to go. Yeah. Um, George died a year later in 1969, and Jenny, who wore black every day after the fire, Aww. continued to tend to the garden that they planted over the home after it was bulldozed. Jenny died in 1989, and the billboard was taken down soon after. Today, only the youngest solder daughter, Sylvia, is alive, and she and her children and grandchildren continue to search for any clues or answers for the mysterious events on Christmas Eve. 1945 and that is the mysterious case of the solder children disappearance oh that's so sad yeah but also it could i mean i mean like even if you think that no one died yeah then it isn't that sad and maybe they were just taken away and i mean okay let's let's look at it there's no but there's no bones right so i don't believe they were burnt to death in the house Right. So I believe they were taken by someone, especially because of all like the mm-hmm. sabotage, like the um, ladder and stuff. Yep. Um, yep. And also he had various threats made against him beforehand. Um, but you would like, there's also a thing to say, like, depending on how old the children were that were taken, like sometimes you can just tell children that they're someone else and they're never going to know. Mm-hmm. Like say, right. say like from the age of five, somebody told me that my name was, I don't know fucking claire smith or whatever like i wouldn't know any different i I would just believe whatever they told me so you would go oh that's sad about those children but i'm not one of them yeah so how old were the kids that were taken the son he was 14 maurice and then 12 10 8 and 6 so i think maybe the 8 and 6 year old yeah you could convince them could have been convinced but uh, yeah but the other ones no and then there's also a story of George was reading the newspaper one day and he saw a picture of like school children in New York and he was like, oh my God, that's one of my daughters. And he drove from West Virginia to New York to, he was convinced that it was her. And when he went, the parents wouldn't let him see their daughter. So he thought that maybe it was a conspiracy. I think that he was more thinking like this was the mafia and the conspiracy. Yeah. Um, but also maybe he was just looking for clues when it wasn't. Yeah. One. Sometimes people are quite like desperate, aren't they? By the way, I found the name of the leader, and funny enough, the leader's name is Tito. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 That's so. It's familiar. a Yugoslavian leader called T- called Okay Josip Broz Tito. Um, and he yeah. was a Yugoslavian communist and revolutionary and statesman. And he was like okay. uh, announced president for life. So obviously that that that's oh, a dictator okay. and yeah. a communist. He was in an anti-Nazi resistance because obviously Bosnia and Yugoslavia and all of that, like it was kind of fought over and the names changed and borders changed and stuff like. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's a picture of him on the fridge in Ada's house <laughs> and um yeah like apparently pe- people in Yugoslavia and Bosnia really liked him because he was anti-Nazi and wow. he was just like great 
okay. and it's like I remember there's a podcast uh, with Scroobius Pip and Russell Brand and they were talking about dictators I mean obviously they they mm. are kind of a pair of ponces those two but like yeah. <laughs> like pontificating asses, but like um they were talking about the fact that like there is such thing as a good dictator like imagine if obama was a dictator so he didn't have to fight congress or a senate or whatever to get laws passed he could just say that's the law i would trust him to make morally sound laws even if they weren't diplomatic like even if they weren't a choice Mm -hmm. even if they were just his choice yeah. Maybe that's because they're my choice. Like, it's what I would want. <laughs> <laughs> if you agree, it's better when you agree with the dictator. Yeah, which I would have done. <laughs> it's good, but I also, I don't think that someone should be in power for life because people change and you have to give other people a chance to be heard and represented. Yeah, yeah. Di- diplomacy yeah. is the sign of a, like, developed nation and society. Like, right. the Romans started it and... Well, maybe someone before that started it, but basically my history only really goes back to Romans. So <laughs> yeah, that was a really good story. What do you think happened? Uh, I do think that they were kidnapped and I think it was probably the mafia. Yeah? Yeah, I can't imagine that it was the police. No. Unless the, you know, some police were like paid off by the mafia. But... They're too fucking busy having Christmas to be bothered yeah. about kidnapping right. children. I think you're overestimating the police. Like. <laughs> Right. And I think there could be some truth in the Mussolini thing because the extent of things that went wrong, like the ladder was missing, the trucks were broken down, the phone lines weren't working. Yeah, it all seems very like um, like coincidental, doesn't it? If not. Right. The thing that is the creepiest, I think, is that the oldest daughter fell asleep on the couch and she didn't wake up. So how were the children convinced to leave? Guns? How were they taken or... That could have been it. And I think because they were told to check on the farm animals before they went to bed, Mm -hmm. maybe the kids all just decided to go together. You know, the little kids just went to watch or whatever. Yeah. And while the older kids took care of the animals. And it's dark, so you're like, let's all go together. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 Um, So that's the explanation that I can think of. And... That picture that I said where it was written on the back, Lewis Sauter, mm-hmm. the numbers that were written was A90132. Yeah. And that's supposedly the postcode of if you live in Sicily. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Oh my God, you know what we should be talking about? Fucking Zodiac Cypher. Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't we bring that up before? I don't know. It's because you said A something something and I was like, that. You know, that could be a code. And then I was like, code, Zodiac. Like, my brain just went like a little pinball machine. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of annoying that it says nothing. (laughs) It's just the ramblings of a man. It's just him talking shit. It's the ramblings of a madman, as we knew it would be. Also, I think we were really lucky in finding the Golden State Killer, but I think the Zodiac probably is dead. There is a meme and it was like, you know that there's some old man somewhere shuffling around a home just mumbling about how they cracked his code (laughs) and some like worker is like okay bill time to go Uh, rach we shared that on the fucking transatlantic crime yeah right exactly (laughs) yeah actually um who sent that to me um 
Emily Goldsworthy, um, listener and friend of the show and Patreon. Oh, yeah, yeah, she sent it to me and then yeah. I totally stole it and I like put it everywhere because I thought it was fucking hilarious. It's so good though. <laughs> it is. Like some old serial killer in his slippers shuffling about like pissed off. Right. I hope he's in pain. Oh, I think he might. I honestly think he might be dead. Could be they right. have a really good suspect, don't they? Have you seen the film Zodiac with um, Jake Gyllenhaal? I, yeah. I watched that... Um, Partly just to look at Jake Gyllenhaal for two hours, but like partly because it's something I'm very interested in. And um, yeah, the guy that wrote the book that that film is based on literally like lost his wife because of his obsession with the Zodiac. And Mm. he said like he had really creepy meetings with people who he thought might have been the Zodiac. And if you haven't seen that film, watch it now. It's pretty It's good. fucking amazing. Another Christmas holiday re- <laughs> recommendation to watch with your family around the Christmas tree. Oh, God. I was listening to a um, podcast in the kitchen, like, and my mum walked in and she was like, oh, my God, what are you listening to? And it was basically, wasn't even that creepy. It was just about a boy. It was just about a boy who had gone to Canada. He'd gone missing and, like, the police, like, weren't... Because it, it was in Canada, like, she either had to contact the royal mounted canadian police or whatever it is or she or she had to involve the british police and they were like he's a young man he's traveling on his own like he's probably just pissed off somewhere and so she went to canada and eventually she got the rcmp to actually pay attention to her and um there was a rumor that went around that like he got in a fight and got punched and then like he died and they just dumped his body in a lake and my mom was like Mm. why are you listening to this it's horrible and i was thinking Mum, this is the fucking least of your worries. <laughs> this is ten percent of the things I listen to. This is the tip of. This the is iceberg. my like fucking. This is my like daytime TV. <laughs> <laughs> this is like PG thirteen, like the most tame yeah. shit you've ever heard. Like, <laughs> yeah, I've learned to do that. Like, I'm. Li- I usually listen to a podcast when I'm like cleaning up or doing the dishes or whatever. And when Will's gone out, mm. as soon as he opens the door, I have to press yeah, pause because I already know. I like, press pause. He doesn't want to hear that yeah, stuff. I pre- I press yeah. pause. Plus, I'm kind of ashamed of myself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm like, too. please don't know how I live. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So um, my story is a really famous story. And I've had a few people ask me whether I've done it because mm. I live in Bristol. And it yes. happened at Christmas. I think it I happened know. at Christmas time, yes. which is absolutely horrible. Um, so yeah. this is a story of Joanna Yeats. Yay! Yeah, I mean not yay, but yeah, it's it's, been, it's yeah. been a while. We've wanted to do it for a while. Okay, so Joanna Claire Yeats was born on the nineteenth of April, nineteen eighty-five, to David and Teresa Yeats in Ampfield in Hampshire, England, and Hampshire is where I am right now, and that's where mm-hmm. Andover is. Um, wow what a weird connection yeah it's a really weird connection uh, there's more as well There's more. we have more connections mm. so she had an older brother called Chris and her family was fairly wealthy and so she had a really good education she went to a private school near Romsey um, Romsey is famous for Romsey Rapids which is like a water park which we used to go to when we were kids all the time oh. and it's fucking, <laughs> fucking brilliant if you've never been she went to Peter Simmons College in Winchester um, I went to university in Winchester and the mm. Peter Simmons girls were always beautiful and rich and tall and wore Ugg boots and had blonde hair. 
Ugg boots. Yeah. That's the sign of like when we went to college. Wealth. Or university. Real Ugg boots, yeah. not fake ones, real ones. Real. Yeah. Yeah. She's really clever as well. She then went on to study landscape architecture at Rittle College in Essex. And in 2008, she when she was 28 and she got a job at an architecture firm in uh, called Highland Edgar Driver, which is shortened to HED in Winchester. Um, okay. So she was actually working in Winchester when I was going to university in Winchester. So we mm. may have crossed paths. Yeah, you might have sat next to her in the pub or something. Literally, might have. How big is Winchester? Not big. Not big at all. There's okay. probably about 10 pubs. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, honestly, it's tiny. It's an absolutely beautiful place, though. Like, if you... Next time you come to England, I'll take you. I love that you rate the scale of a place by how many pubs it is. <laughs> the pubs are great, though. They're all really cool. <laughs> and, like, three of them are owned by the same people. And one of them's called the Black Boy. One of them's called the Black Rat. And one of them's called the Black Bottle. Um, oh, and wow. the Black Bottle is, like, really... Um, fancy wine place and like you get a card and then you go to a machine and like get like wine out of a machine it's really weird and cool oh yeah the black the black rat is um a very fancy restaurant and the black boy is a really weird pub with like taxidermy everywhere there's like a whole taxidermy donkey in there it's are you saying black boy b-o-y yeah that seems a little maybe not yes a good name for something it's not okay but it's like winchester so it's just like they're not changing that name because they're fucking old and whatever i do i do (laughs) realize the implications definitely sound like cool pubs though. it's a very cool pub um probably should change his name though so uh she when she was living in winchester she met 25 year old greg reardon Um, because they worked for the same architecture firm and then they started dating. And then the firm that they both work for relocated from Winchester to Bristol, so which is where I live now. So um, Mm -hmm. they moved there together in a flat in Clifton. So Clifton in Bristol is gorgeous. Like the the houses Mm. are really expensive though. Like rent is really expensive. But all the all the okay. houses are big, beautiful Victorian houses, really high ceilings, like all like um, molding and like wooden floors and big windows, like mm-hmm. they're gorgeous. She moved in to a flat and it was originally a large house that had been divided into several flats. So three of which were owned by the same man. So he lived in one of the flats and then he rented two of the flats out, that he, but he owned all three of them. And then Joanna and Greg both got jobs at another firm, another architectural firm. What I get from this is that they obviously got on really well. If you can work with Mm. someone all day and live with them, then you're obviously pretty happy together. And that's, that's what happened really. So reportedly, Greg and Joanna were really happy and really in love. And they both enjoyed outdoor sports, especially rowing, which they were able to do at the harbour side in Bristol. Um, Like you see people rowing in Bristol all the time. They would go to music festivals together and they had camper van holidays together. And they also had a cat called Bernard, which I thought was really cute. (laughs) Little Bernie. Little Bern. So um, (laughs) at approximately 8pm on the 19th of December 2010, Greg Reardon came back to his and Joanna's flat in Bristol after a weekend in his hometown of Sheffield. And he found that Joanna wasn't home. So he tried to call and text her, but he got no answer. 
He decided to stay in the flat just in case she came back, but as he was continuously calling her, he noticed that her phone was vibrating in the jacket pocket of her coat, which is like, Mm. fuck. And then he found her keys and her purse. He also realised that the cat had not been fed and didn't have any water. So, So basically for at least two days, the cat had no food or water. I bet that cat was pissed off. Bernard was not happy. <laughs> when it got to midnight and she still wasn't back, he just, he started to panic and decided to call the police to report her missing. And he called her parents to tell them what was going on. When police investigated her last known movements, they found that she spent the evening of the 17th of December with her work friends at the Bristol Ram pub on Park Street. So in Bristol, Park Street is just like this fucking it's like an effing vertical street. Like it's so okay. it's so hard to walk up. Like it's like so yeah, it's ridiculous. Um What's on it? Just like pubs and shops and re- stuff? Or? Really nice shops, the Bristol Museum, okay. beautiful restaurants, lovely vintage shops, really nice pubs. If you really want to enjoy what Bristol has to offer, you have to have a strong working legs. Bristol is a very hilly city. It's like one of my only complaints. <laughs> oh, also, I remember yeah. once I was meant to meet a guy for a date at the top of Park Street. <laughs> and and when I got there, I was so fucking sweaty and out of breath. I looked disgusting. <laughs> and I was like, I am really sorry. I'm just like wiping my face on napkins like it was and like it took me like 20 minutes to like calm down. <laughs> He should have walked down to meet you. I know. Not make you walk up it. I know. But he didn't, he wasn't from Bristol and he drove to Bristol to meet me for a drink. Like, he was super. Oh, so he didn't know. Also, he was super keen. So I was like, you don't fucking care that I look like shit. I know you like me. (laughs) (laughs) I was quite smug. Um, She left um, the Ram pub at 8 p.m. and she decided to walk home. So colleagues reported that she told them that she was nervous to be in the flat on her own without her boyfriend there because that's the first time that she'd ever been there on her own. Police spotted Joanna on CCTV at 10 past eight leaving Waitrose, which is like quite a posh supermarket on Park Street. She phoned her friend at 8.30 to arrange a meeting on Christmas Eve. And then at 8.40pm, she was caught on CCTV leaving Tesco on Park Street after buying pizza and two bottles of cider. So... Inside the flat on the night that she went missing, police found one of the bottles of cider half drunk and the other one not touched. They found no sign of the pizza or its packaging, though. And and there was no evidence of forced entry and nothing really was out of place, um, which suggested that there hadn't been a struggle. This yeah. also suggested that Joanna knew the person she answered the door to or didn't feel threatened by them. And to me, that's like, you get in, you've cracked open your cider, you have a bit of it, you think to yourself, right, I'll put the pizza in the oven... Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's and then yeah. and then yeah. someone's at the door. What happened to the pizza? I know, so weird. So on the twenty first of December, Joanna's parents and boyfriend made a public appeal on TV for her to come back. And on the twenty third of December, after no luck from the first appeal, Joanna's dad said in a second press conference, "I think she was abducted after getting home to her flat. I have no idea of the circumstances of the abduction because of what was left behind." I feel sure she would not have gone out by herself, leaving all these things behind, and she was taken away somewhere. I mean, that makes perfect sense because she left her purse, her keys, her phone, yeah, her drink. Like, right? She was arranging to meet somebody on on Christmas Eve, so she wasn't like pissed off or like leaving of her own accord. 
She also had a cat, and I feel like when you have a pet, yeah, you make sure they're or a child or children. The same same thing with children. It's like, yeah, you're not just gonna leave them and not not think about them and just yeah leave. yeah like you're you're responsible for their safety right. yeah on christmas day a couple were walking their dog in Fayland. Fayland is a village in somerset about three miles from clifton in bristol and an area of natural beauty they found a fully clothed body in the snow along a lane near a golf course next to an entrance of an old quarry and the body was identified as joanna so this was christmas day Walking yeah. your dog on Christmas Day and you find a fucking body. You know what I just realized? What? My aunt, she worked for the police in that area. Really? So I really want to ask her if she dealt with Yeah, this. definitely do that. So the hunt for Joanna was one of the largest police operations in Bristol police history. And there were many public appeals to help find the perpetrator. The police appealed for anyone who had seen anything suspicious around the area where Joanna was found and stated that they were looking for a light-coloured 4x4 vehicle. A young woman attending a party nearby recalled hearing two loud screams shortly after 9pm coming from the direction of Joanna's flat. The thing is, though, in Bristol, it's a student town, and it's a Friday night, and it's yeah. near Christmas. And this, is, bef- and this right. is before COVID, when people could actually fucking go out. So... Like it was party. Yeah, exactly. It is a party city. Like people are being stupid. So like, even if you do hear screams, like you don't necessarily think that that's nefarious. You might just be like, oh, shut up. Like, yeah. But I suppose after the fact, then it's worth reporting. Another neighbor who lived behind Joanna's home said she heard a woman's voice scream, help me, but couldn't recall a time. Police removed the front door of the flat, checking for DNA under the belief that someone had snuck in and was waiting for Joanna when she returned. Police examined over 100 hours of surveillance footage along with 293 tonnes of rubbish seized from the area around Joanna's flat in case any evidence had been discarded in bins. A total of £60,000 reward was offered from Crime Stoppers and the Sun newspaper. Women were warned not to walk home alone and residents were advised to secure their houses. So obviously like this really disturbed people. On the 26th of December, which in England is Boxing Day, I don't know if you have that in America... Um, no, it's not called that. No, it's just the, what is it called? Day after Christmas Day. Yeah. Chris, Christmas I mean, Day too. <laughs> sometimes my brain gets mixed up. So in Ireland, it's called St. Stephen's Day. Okay. Never knew that. In England, it's Boxing Day. And then, you know what? All of the calendars in America say Boxing Day, but nobody in America knows what it means. No, I don't know what it means. It just means that I'm not in work. It, <laughs> <laughs> Boxing Day is when they would... Like when prosperous people on Christmas would put a box together of like their leftover Christmas meals oh, and like nice. anything else and they would give it to the poor. Well, that's lovely. Yeah. So that's a fun fact for anyone who didn't Well, know I learned something new today. <laughs> so um, on the 26th of December, Joanna's postmortem took place. But as she was left in the snow, it was extremely hard to tell time and manner of death. Police exp- because she was obviously frozen. So poli- police yeah. explored the idea that Joanna had wandered off and frozen to death because she showed so few signs of injury. But after a post-mortem, they deduced that she had died of strangulation several days before being discovered and that she never ate the pizza that she bought. Wow. So that indicates that she was attacked very shortly after entering her home. The post-mortem found no sign that she had been sexually assaulted. Joanna's boyfriend, Greg, was thoroughly investigated and was never a suspect. Um, partly because of the fact that he was in Sheffield with his family. 
when she died. So yeah, I'm sure he had a very good alibi. And he called and he called and reported her missing. And he told her parents that she was missing. Like mm. he acted completely like a grieving boyfriend would. DNA that had been found on Yates's body was tested for a potential profile. Detectives also looked into several hundred sex offenders living around Clifton to find out what where they were on December 17th. Comforting to know that there's several hundred sex offenders around where I live. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> I used to live in a bad neighborhood in St. Paul and Will's dad, who worked for law enfor- enforcement, he would send me an email like once a week being like, oh, this person just moved into your neighborhood. To be honest, I could, I would, I would want to know what their face looked like. <laughs> That's handy. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. But yeah, it was creepy. It was like, how many people yeah. are like convicts and, you know, <sighs> child molesters I would... or sex offenders? So in England, the rules aren't the same. Like in England, you can only check if someone's a sex offender if they are looking after your children or if oh. they have a history of domestic violence or sexual violence. You can call up the okay. police and be like, I'm going out with this person and I really suspect that they might be. And the police have to tell you just you though oh um it's like in america it's not published okay in america like um i think sex offenders can't live around schools yeah i think do you guys have that rule yes i think that's true here as well i'm not 100 percent sure though i'd I'd have to check that but i mean that would be sensible (laughs) (laughs) let's not um (laughs) so on the morning of the 30th of december Christopher Jeffries, who was Joanna's landlord and lived in in one of and owned a few of the flats in the building, was arrested on suspicion of murder. He was taken for questioning while forensic investigators inspected his flat. On the 31st of December, police requested a 12-hour extension to the arrest, enabling them to hold him in custody for, for additional questioning. Police applied for further extensions, which were granted... But after finding nothing in his flat and no real information from his questioning, he was released on bail after two days. So this is really interesting because he looks like a fucking murderer. He looks so weird. Like, I'll put a picture up of him if you haven't seen it already. He is, and he's really eccentric. He's really, like, he's um, quite camp. But to be honest, like, he's very slight framed. He's quite a small guy and... This seemed, because there was no struggle, it seemed like whoever took Joanna would have been able to just subdue her and, like, carry her out or, do you know what I mean? Like, subdue her to the point of, like, pinning her down and killing her and there wouldn't have been a struggle. Whereas, like, she could have fought this guy because he was the same size as her, if not smaller. She was athletic because she rode. Yeah, and she also did, like, loads of landscape gardening and stuff. So, yeah, she Mm. she wasn't, like, um, a fragile like woman at all unless someone was with him maybe but also she i think the reason they suspected him as well is because it looked like there was no it looked like there was no forced entry and he had keys to every flat because because he was the landlord and she knew him yeah um right yeah so anyway they searched his flat like top to bottom and found absolutely nothing no pizza box nope no trace of no trace of her no trace of her dna none of her hair nothing And nothing weird. He didn't have weird porn on his computer. He didn't have weird porn in general. He didn't have anything untoward. Um, So anyway, they released him. But the papers ripped him a new arsehole. They were like, weird landlord in in suspicion of like, and pictures of him looking weird. 
which he can't help because he is weird. So, like, yeah, he got rinsed in the paper. In January 2011, a reconstruction of the case was filmed for the TV show Crime Watch, which I have already told you about. Um, Within 24 hours, over 300 people contacted the police. A tip led investigators to believe that Joanna's body might have been transported in a large holdall or suitcase. On the morning of the 20th of January, the police arrested 32-year-old engineer Vincent Tabak, who lived with his girlfriend in the flat next door to Joanna. And um, Christopher Jeffries was also his landlord. So Tabak was born on the 10th of February 1978 in the Netherlands and was the youngest of five siblings. He had moved to England in 2007 and worked in Bath when... So he moved here because he got a job offer in Bath um, as an engineer. Which isn't that far from Bristol. Bristol and Bath are half an hour away. They're kind of like twin, twin towns. Right. He met his first serious girlfriend through Guardian Soulmates, which is just like a dating agency, but quite a serious one. Like you pay money for it and stuff. Yeah. They moved in together into the same flats as Joanna and Greg in 2009, but Joanna and Greg had never met their neighbor before. Shortly after Joanna's murder, Tabak left the country to visit his family in the Netherlands. But to be honest, that's Christmas, so that doesn't look too suspect. Like, everyone goes home at Christmas. DNA samples were analysed from Yeats's body, and although they were matched to Vincent Tabak, they weren't good enough quality to be evaluated. Experts said, We couldn't say whether the DNA was from saliva or semen or even touch, but we could say that the probability of it not being a match with Tabak was less than one in a billion. So this is like shaky wow. ground. Like I don't know if it would hold up in court, but it's pretty obvious that it's him. Um, but if they're neighbors, they're next door neighbors. I wonder how much DNA could be shared with a neighbor on door handles and stuff. Door handles. I don't. But know. I will. I will tell you this: the DNA was found on the backs of the knees of her jeans, as if okay. she had been dragged. Gotcha. So that's why they were like, mm, "This does not look good for you." Okay. Tabak was questioned for 96 hours and was finally charged with Joanna's murder on the 22nd of January 2011. He declined to request bail and was moved to Bristol Prison because of... Sorry, he was moved from Bristol Prison because of fears for his safety. Um, He was also placed under suicide watch at the next prison he was taken to. Tabak's family and friends in the Netherlands believed he was innocent and started to raise funds for his court defence. Tabak initially maintained he was not responsible for Joanna Yeats' death, claiming that DNA evidence was faked. However, on the 8th of February, he confessed to a prison chaplain that he had killed her and that he would plead guilty. Whoa. Yeah, so I think he was quite religious, and I think religion got to him. He said, I want to see a priest, and then he confessed. So, What about his girlfriend? I think she had no idea about any of this. Okay. On the 4th of March, 2011... Police released Christopher Jeffries from bail, taking because basically he was on bail with a leg tag, like you know, you know, okay. you know, when like you're on tag, yeah, and stated that he was no longer a suspect. He subsequently received an official apology from the police, and then he sued several tabloid newspapers for defamation, and won an undisclosed sum in libel damages. But I mean, right. really, at this point, his reputation was fucked because he yeah. was a lecturer. Um, Bristol University and they never wanted it back wow yeah Yeah, how could you have him back because all the attention would be on that Mm -hmm. yeah even if he was innocent so the next Mm. part is this 
On the 5th of May, 2011, Vincent de Back pleaded guilty to, to the manslaughter of Yeats, but denied murdering her. His plea of guilty to manslaughter was rejected. Good. <laughs> yes. um, police discovered in the months leading up to Joanna's death, Tabak had used his computer to research escort agencies during work trips in the United Kingdom and the United States and contacted several sex workers. Like, okay, but yeah, I don't think that doesn't make terrible. doesn't make you a murderer. No. Um, so I don't really know why that's included. I think that's just kind of like sex shaming. Salacious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I think what they're trying to say is his girlfriend didn't know that. Obviously, he's got a girlfriend who he says he loves. Okay. So he so he has kind of a secret. Yeah. Life sort he, of. Yeah. And that's an indication of that. He's okay. underhand is what they're trying to say. He cheats right. on his girlfriend. Right. He also viewed violent internet pornography that depicted women being controlled by men showing images of them being bound and gagged, held by the neck and choked. During the murder investigation, police found images of a woman who bore a striking resemblance to Joe. In one scene, she was shown pulling up a pink top to expose her bra and breasts. When Yeats was discovered, she was wearing a similarly arranged pink top. Mm. So, again though, like I don't know, there's a lot of porn stars out there. Some of them are bound to look like someone else. And they're... The whole point of them is to look like the girl next door or, you know, to look like someone that you might know because that's just part of the fantasy. Yeah. I mean, I've had a lot of conversations with men recently about like choky porn and like Mm. that is some women's kink. They really like to be choked. Personally, not mine. We have discussed this. We have touched on this. Yes, we have touched on this. It's just a fucking dangerous thing to do sometimes. Also, I think, like, if you watch porn in the 70s, like, if you ever seen 70s porn, because people don't get choked in 70s porn. People just have big hairy bushes and they just enjoy a good fuck. And there's, like, a a saxophone in the background. Yeah, or, or like, they're having sex on a pinball machine. Right. It's not as dark as stuff is today. I don't think. Yeah. Speaking of that, that's that Pornhub has been in the news because of they just took down a bunch of stuff yeah. that they're starting to do is which is really good. It's like if it's not verified then it, they're not as in put it as up. in age verified, I think, and consent verified. So like you have you have yes. a signature from both actors saying, "Yes, I consent right. to my image being on the internet." Right. Which I think is great. Which is really good because there was yeah, there was a lot of um, amateur and revenge, like revenge yeah, yeah yeah and but anyways back to this guy. piece of shit his trial started on the 4th of october 2011 at bristol crown court the prosecution case was that vincent Tabak had strangled yeats at her flat within minutes of her arrival using sufficient force to kill her the prosecutors stated that Tabak, who was around a foot taller than her had used his height and build to overpower her, pinning her to the floor by her wrists, and that she had suffered 43 separate injuries to her head, neck, torso, and arms during the struggle. Sounds like she put up a pretty good fight. Yeah, he's a big guy, though. I have seen pictures of him, and he is... Also, he's from the Netherlands, and they are fucking tall. Right. So, the injuries included cuts, bruises, and a fractured nose. So, maybe, like, she headbutted him, or he headbutted her, or something. Or maybe he punched her in the face to, like get her to the floor evidence was presented that tabak had then tried to conceal the crime by disposing of her body bloodstains were found on a wall overlooking a quarry close to where yeats was discovered 
The prosecution also said that Tabak attempted to implicate Jeffries for the murder during the police investigation, and that in the days following her death, he had made internet searches for topics that included the length of time it takes for a body to decompose and the dates of the rubbish collections in the Clifton area. So they were right to look in the rubbish. And also, yeah, so I, I haven't included this, but he, when he spoke to the police, like the police obviously interviewing everyone in the building... He was like, yeah. that next door neighbor's really weird. You should look at him. He's got keys and stuff. So like oh. properly tried to throw him under the bus, yeah. which is fucking what a so harsh. <laughs> like, That's really conniving. Too. Yeah. Tabak claimed the killing had not been sexually motivated and told the court that he had killed Yeats when trying to silence her after she screamed when he tried to kiss her. He claimed that Yeats had made a flirty comment and invited him to drink with her. He said that after she screamed, he held his hands over her mouth and around her neck to silence her. He denied suggestions of a struggle, claiming to have held Yeats by the neck with only minimal force and for about 20 seconds. He told the court that after dumping the body, he was in a state of panic. There is so much wrong with that. Yeah. Right. One, she had a boyfriend who she loved and she was nervous about being in the house on her own. Two, she'd never met you before. Three, she had... Three, it's Christmas. It's like you're friendly to your neighbors especially on christmas yeah so maybe she made a flirty comment maybe you took whatever she said as a flirty yeah comment. maybe she was like hello what what do you want <laughs> right <laughs> merry christmas can i help you <laughs> and also this is again this like you're not lenny from mice and men it's not no. like someone starts screaming and you fucking break their neck like right also he said he, he held her with minimal force for 20 seconds that doesn't kill someone no not in a million years it really doesn't and you're a big guy like you should know your strength yeah if and don't try you're doing something for 20 seconds that's still a long time don't try and kiss her also consent is a big thing like don't just go for the kill (laughs) bad things happen when you lunge at people like (laughs) yeah innocent or not and also, if it was an accident, you would... Again, this is the whole rough sex defense that pisses me off every mm. time. If it's mm-hmm. an accident, yep. you call the police, you call the ambulance, you yep. try and save their life because you have respect for them. Right. Which he obviously doesn't. And you know you've done something wrong. Yeah. Let's just say we're giving you the ultimate benefit of the doubt and it was an accident. You still didn't call the police. You still dumped her body in the open so that someone could have found it on Christmas Day. Yeah. And you tried to pin it on someone yeah, else. Yeah, and you really tried to deflect the blame on that poor old guy that lived next to you. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And honestly, it should, like there's a really good program um, called The Lost Honor of Christopher Jeffries. And it's you can watch it on um, an app called BritBox, if you've heard of that. Okay. And yeah. me and Carly watched it, and it's really good. And like when we, when we oh. were watching it, the guy who plays him, we were like, God, he is being so hammy. He's really hamming this up. And then when you see the guy in real life, you're like, nope, that's exactly how he acted. (laughs) It's really funny. The actor was like, I really had to play it up. Well, (laughs) anyway, I'll get on to that. So the jury was sent out to deliberate on the 26th of October and returned with a verdict two days later. Tabak was found guilty of Joanna Yeats' murder and he was jailed for life with a minimum term of 20 years. And here's the kicker. He also received 10 months for possession of indecent images after police found over 100 images of children on his computer. Whoa. So. You, sir. May fuck off. May fuck off. Yeah. So not only are you a horrible strangler, you also 
get off on kids. You're yeah. the worst. So mm-hmm. following the release of Joanna's body on the 31st of January 2011, the Yeats family arranged to hold her funeral at St. Mark's of Ampfield, Hampshire and have her interred in the churchyard. Yeats was buried on the 11th of February and approximately 300 people attended the service. So in 2013, this is the um, program I was talking about, ITV commissioned a drama about Jeffrey's arrest, filming the two-part series starring Jason Watkins, who is the guy who plays him. So Jeffrey's had read and approved the script and supported the project. And when you see how hammy he plays him, you're like, how on earth can you go? Yeah, that's fine. But that is who he is. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, again, the drama titled The Lost Honour of Christopher Jeffries won two awards at the 2015 British Academy Television Awards for Best Miniseries and and for Best Actor for Watkins' portrayal of Jeffries. Wow. Yeah. It is, I'm going to have to watch It's that. fucking great. It's really yeah. great. Um, But yeah. yes, that is the story of Joanna Yates. That was really good. Oh, good. I'm glad. Very well told. I'm glad. Yeah. I, I had to do that. I made it in such a rush because I hurt my eye today and I had a patch over my eye. So like, I had like one eye to do this work. And I, oh, no. And I need to put the patch on again because the eye hurts. Yeah. This is a fucking nightmare. You need to sleep. I do need to sleep. Give your eye some rest. Yes, definitely. But yeah. I think I'm going to have to go because my eye hurts. So <laughs> Yes. All right. Well, Merry Christmas because this is our Christmas episode. So thank you for listening. Yeah. We hope everyone has a great holiday. Yeah. Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate. Yeah. Talissa, I hope your eye gets better. Thanks, mate. So do I. Bye. Love you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to Transatlantic Crime this week. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Transat Crime Pod, Instagram at Transatlantic Crime, and on Facebook with Transatlantic Crime Podcast. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>